Well, I'm so happy to welcome you as we gather again as the Christ Journey family from beautiful South Florida, right here in Miami, Coral Gables campus, Kendall campus. Perhaps you're joining us through church online across the nation, around the world. We are asking God's blessing for you today as we conclude our series, Our Community. Now, um, you ever heard anybody say this? It's like riding a bike. It's like riding a bike. It's an English figure of speech that means once learned, never forgotten. It's like once you learn, you never don't know how. And uh, people say it about stuff, not just bicycles. They say it about stuff. Uh, when they, what they mean is, oh, it's easy. It's easy. And you'll get it. And when once you get it, you've got it. And it's something so doable that it'll just come like second nature to you. Maybe you remember. Do you know how to ride a bike? Maybe you remember when you first learned. Um, my first bike was bigger than I was. That's how I remember it. No training wheels. My dad took me out one day and he put me on the bike and he walked beside me. He held the seat and got us going. And then he said, now paddle, 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 keep paddling, keep paddling. And so I did. And, you know, of course, I couldn't just keep going straight. So I dared to turn and something happened. It was so awkward. I can't imagine what it looked like happening, but I can tell you what it felt like. I dared to turn and it was like a deep swoop, a deep swoop. It was just went Whoa, like that. And I don't know how it happened. I know how weird it felt, but I guess I had enough momentum going that when I did the swoop thinking I was turning and it, it sprung back up and I kept going straight somehow, somehow had enough momentum to keep going straight again. I can't tell you how that happened. But I know it did. That's how I remember it. Now, the first day that Lisa and I got a bicycle for our firstborn was the same day that our her little newborn sister was being brought home from the hospital. And we wanted it to be a celebration day for her, which is how she remembers it. But the bike we got her was just her size. I mean, it was her size, and it had training wheels. So, man, she got on it. She took off, and whew, she was gone. And then came back. I think she was five years old. She came back just a few moments later perturbed that it had these training wheels on it. And so I had to get out the wrench, and I took off the training wheels. She got back on. Bam. I mean, she just was gone. Never looked back. Now, her sister, when she was learning how to ride some years later, was a different story together. I mean, the bike was her size, had training wheels on it, and as she got it going, she found her balance, she kept pedaling, then for some reason it was like every mailbox on our street became a magnet that just pulled her over toward it and then right into it, and then we'd get her back on the street again, and she would be going, and then, man, the next mailbox would just pull her right in, and she'd hit it again. But here's the thing, for all of us as we learned, once you learn it, you never don't know how. You never unlearn how it works. Now, why am I telling you that? Some of you have been with us this entire series, through the entire series of our community. And, uh, and just like in bike riding, there's a lot of repetition. A lot of repetition. You know, in bike riding, you get on it, you keep pedaling, you keep pedaling, you turn, you keep pedaling, keep pedaling, a lot of repetition. Well, have you noticed repetition in this letter? We're coming to the close today, and it may sound like more of the same. Believe, love, pray, 
Trust God. God's got you. Watch out for false substitutes. Jesus is real. You heard any of that before? Yeah. Well, then why is he saying it again? I mean, it's like repetition. It's like riding a bicycle. Once you learn how to follow Christ and you keep paddling and repeating what you have now learned, then it can take you where you need to go. Today, we are finishing the letter of 1 John. And I would love to have your feedback on the series. If you'd like to give it, you can simply go to Christ Journey app and find it there. Or you can go to ChristJourney.org slash our community. And then just let us know how this has landed on you if you've been helped. But we're at 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. And the question is, what have we learned? What have we gotten from the teaching. John is bringing his letter in for a landing, and it's like he's saying, okay, now you've found your balance, and you're pedaling, so just keep pedaling, keep pedaling, keep pedaling, and you will grow in Christ. There's some repetition involved, but as you do it, you've found your balance, and you will now keep moving forward. You will gain momentum. And he tells us how, by listing seven things we now know. He uses this little phrase, we know, and he uses it seven times in just these few verses. We know, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know. We're not just wishing, we're not just hoping, we're not just hyping ourselves into a froth here. He says we know. Now that word, overwhelmingly in these texts, means you get it. You grasp it now. You uh, comprehend it to the point of appreciation. You know this. It's like the day that I was working with West on getting him up on his bike. Oh my goodness, there he is. This is my grandson. On the first day that he learned how to ride his bike. And you know what I was able to say to him? No, you got this. And then, ah, you get this. Look at you. And I was telling him, you, you comprehend this, and now you can appreciate this. You've got this. Well, this is what John is doing here. He tells his dear children in the faith, you know, you've got this. He's like a spiritual trainer, and he's saying, let me just remind you of what you got from me as he was making his way through the letter. And uh, he gives us seven we knows. Now, seven is the perfect number, Right? So what's he saying? It's like God is saying, you've got what it takes, everything you need to be an overcomer in life. It's a life that makes a difference. And so as you count them down with me and keep peddling your way through them, then you're going to find your balance and make a difference as you do. Number one, here they are, quickly. We know that you have eternal life. Verse 13, did you know you don't have to wait till you die to know that you have eternal life you have it the moment you trust Christ as your Savior and start growing in him as your Lord you start pedaling by faith and then you keep pedaling by faith and as you do you keep growing in his salvation you're not going to lose your salvation you are secure in Christ God's life is in Christ Christ is in you when you have Christ you have all of God's life in you and so what You've got it. So what? So live with confidence. We know this, he says. Second, we know. We know God hears our prayers. 
That means we're not alone in the universe. God is present. God is attentive. God is listening. And he hears us. He says, whatever we ask. But when we ask according to his will, he lifts us to his higher purpose. And of course, Jesus showed us how. When he prayed, Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus said, here's how you should pray. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now we're being invited to do the same thing. Up there, down here, right now, through our prayers. We'll talk about this a little bit more in a moment. But as we grow, then we come to see and feel God's love for us and how good God is and how loving God is that now we understand that his plan really is the best for us. So when we pray that his will be done, we're asking that his best be unleashed through us. And then John says, so, so what? Well, so be a prayer warrior. A warrior for what? For God's will to be done in our world. Keep pedaling, keep pedaling, keep pedaling. Number three, verse 15. If we know that he hears us, then we know we have what we have asked. Now the context is important here. He's not saying that prayer is like your Aladdin's lamp, and if you rub it the right way, it'll give you whatever you want. What he's saying is that prayer is the way that God brings his will into our world. And God's best finds his way into our lives by our invitation through prayer. So what? So pray with assurance. And this is a great assurance because of what comes next. Verses 16 through 18. Three verses on sin. And he tells us, you know, sin is what does wrong in the world. Things have gone wrong. It's sin. And then he says sin is what brings death to the world and sin is our enemy in the world three truths about sin and so to continue the bike riding metaphor we could say it like this sin is what tries to throw us off our balance sin is what tries to take us off the trail sin is what tries to give us flat tires or sin is like a spoke a, a stick in the spokes of your bike you know that will then cause you to be vulnerable to gravity rather than to ride with the momentum of your new balance. So, and then what he says is expectant prayer is the way we keep pedaling by faith in spite of sin to overcome. Now, those verses have mystery in them. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But the bottom line is verse 18, which is also number four. We know, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. That means we don't keep habitually practicing the lifestyle of sin that we did before we came to know him. Now new hope is rising up in us. God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. So we're aware, we comprehend, we appreciate this fact. Sin can be deadly, but we also know this, sin can be overcome. A ship can not sink. Our lives can be changed. Bad habits can be broken. People can be set free. New hope can rise. We can be protected from the evil one's harm. So what? So grow to be an overcomer. Find your balance and then keep pedaling. 
Keep pedaling. Keep pedaling. Because that will keep rising above the challenge at hand. Now we'll come back to those mystery verses in a moment. But what else do we know? Number five. We know God has us as his children in enemy-occupied territory. Verse 19. We know we are the children of God and that the whole world is under control of the evil one. Now that may sound paranoid on the face of it. I don't think that's John's intention. I think he's just stating a spiritual fact. He's saying the reason we comprehend this, the reason the world is in such a mess is because there is a resistant and dominating force of evil in it. And he's not talking about a little devil on your shoulder in red pajamas holding a pitchfork trying to whisper, you know, in your ear. He's talking about an invisible essence, an oppressive spiritual force that is opposed to God's good design for us, to God's good image in us, and that evil opposition has become enculturated in human society over history. And so the battle rages on. We talked about that in chapter 2. The world, the flesh, the devil, human culture, enculturated with uh, social evils, moral evils, because the evil one is present. John is just reminding us, hey, we comprehend this. We understand this fact. We get this. Or like Martin Luther wrote, this world with demons filled threatens to undo us. We get that. So what? So, don't be taken unaware. But look at this, number six. <laughs> we know Jesus shines his light in the darkness. The darkness can't overcome it. Look at verse 20. We also know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding. God has made himself known through the Son in the Spirit. Talked about that before. And he's done it in such a way that he can be understood by the eyes of faith. Comprehended, appreciated through the eyes of faith. In this very world, this fallen world, this darkened, broken, troubled world, this world at war that God has never stopped loving. This world of need and needy people. It is this world in which God has chosen to make himself known in ways that can be comprehended and appreciated. So what? So pay attention. Pay attention. God has you here for a reason. God has us here for a reason. Would you like to know what? Are you open? Are you paying attention so that he can help you know why? Because if you're wondering where all of this is going, you know, what is at the heart of these we knows? It's in number seven. John concludes that we may know him who is true. And then the verse continues. We're in him who is true. Even his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. In other words, you can't get any more real and authentic in life than the true 
God. If you want to live a real, authentic, spiritually integrous life, it's in the one who is true. But it's interesting here. John uses a different word here for no than in all the previous six declarations. We know, we know, we know, we know. Here, I mean, in those, I told you, the word simply means you get this. You can comprehend this to the point of appreciation of the facts, right? The word here means to know in personal relationship. Before, we're talking about the first, we, the first word means that you know facts in your head. The second word means you know personally, relationally, in your heart. It's a different quality of knowing. What John is saying is we know God personally, by heart, not just in our head. Now, the facts matter. I mean, Jesus really did live. Jesus really did die. Jesus rose. These facts matter. Jesus' physical ministry matters. But what John is saying is that you can know God more personally than simply knowing facts about him. You can know him by heart. Not just as a spiritual force in the universe, but in a personal relationship by name. The whole letter has been bringing us to just this moment. This is where the whole letter, he's been saying, our community is a community that we share in God, in relationship with God. We are in him who is true, even his son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God and eternal life. So what? So get to know him. If you can know him by heart, get to know him. I mean, that's what the journey's about. That's what the Christ journey is about. It's about getting to know God through Christ, personally, in your heart. I had a seminary professor one time. He said, you know, class, many people are going to miss heaven by 12 inches. 12 inches. And then said, the distance between your head and your heart. It's one thing to know facts about God in your head. It's another thing to welcome the living God in Christ into your heart. Have you done that? Then grow in the real thing. That's what John is saying. You'll find your balance as you start pedaling. You've trusted him as your Savior. Now grow in him as your Lord and keep pedaling by faith. Keep pedaling, keep pedaling. And, and how do we do that? Well, in each of the we knows. <laughs> the repetition that we just keep on repeating and keep on trusting. So what? So live with confidence. Be a prayer warrior for God's will. Pray with assurance. Grow to be an overcomer. Don't be taken unaware, but rather pay attention. And the big why behind all the what? So that you're getting to know God personally. And as you do, oh, the places you will go. You know, the last book Dr. Seuss published in his lifetime was by that title, Oh, the Places You Will Go. And it's got some great lines in it. Um, if you haven't read it, here's one. Let me remind you. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. So you're off and away. To me, that's what John is saying in this letter. 
as he brings it to a close, what he's saying, he's calling his dear children together, and he's saying, you know what? When you learn to follow Christ, when you learn to live the Christian life, like once you learn to ride a bike, oh, the places you will go. That's what he's thinking about. Now, when I first learned to ride my bike, uh, I was told, oh, only on our street, Billy. Right? But not too many years after that, we moved to a national park right outside of town. And suddenly, you know what? Every dirt trail, every, every dirt road, every forest trail, every uh, back road in the national park became my bike path. And since I knew how to ride, oh, the places I could go. Now, my wife will tell you, I'm not much on uh, riding in, the, in Miami heat. But she'll also tell you that we have ridden bikes together in the mountains of Virginia, in the forested mountains of Virginia, in Wyoming. Uh, here's a shot from this last August where we were riding together down by the, the Grand Tetons. All oh, the places you can go. You know, and I have friends who've been places I'll never go. I got competition triathletes who ride their bikes in triathlons. All the places they can go. I got my dentist, Dr. Sherhart. His goal, he is a long-distance rider. And I think his longest day so far, single day, is 65 miles in a day. He said, Bill, my goal is 100 miles in a single day by my next birthday. Oh, the places you will go. Now, when I first learned how to ride, I wasn't thinking about going any of those places. You know, I just wanted to keep it upright, keep on pedaling, and, and turn without dropping, right? But, but that happened. I've been a lot of places now. And then here's something else. Once you know how, you can help other people learn how as well. Like here's West on the day that he learned. Check this out. Lisa, is that amazing? Is that awesome? Oh, the places you will go. Man, in fact, we, maybe we should, no, we won't. I won't make you watch it twice. That's okay. But you know, we're not just, and God's, God's desire isn't just that we, that we go places, but we get things done. Dr. Sue says this in his book, kid, you'll move mountains. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting, so get on your way. Now, with all due respect to Dr. Seuss, I think it was Jesus who first talked about moving mountains. What did Jesus say? Say to this mountain, move. Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you, Jesus said, Matthew 17, 21. Now, if you have ever wondered why would God have us and raise us as his kids in enemy-occupied territory, in such a danger zone as this world, I think this text is to that point. And three thoughts come to mind. First, God designed us to be overcomers. That means to be mountain movers. And he placed us, and this was his dream from the beginning. He created image bearers after his own likeness and placed them in a world where the deceiver had 
was, had been cast down. Why? So he says, so now I'm going to raise up my kids so they can be overcomers where it really matters. First answer, the real thing. Second answer, he wants us to grow with him, to be like him. Now, we try to do that on our own strength. We're going to go down. You know, but with him as our father, by his spirit, modeled by the son, he says, you can do this. You can get this. And he wants us to do it here, to really grow like him, to be like him in a place where that's a real crucible of real life, where people, real people make real choices that have real consequence, and they can really grow. Third answer. We do it, how do we do it? We do it praying to see his will be done. We do it in partnership with him. That's what verse 14 is about. In knowing the Father in love and experiencing how good he is and wants to be in this life, then we come to see, whoa, your plan is the best plan. And we want our single life to engage the best plan God has. So we start praying and pursuing his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven and then praying through guess what he says you're going to see the answer verse 15 and part of that answer is praying to reach the reachable praying to reach the reachable verse 16 this is riding God's bike in God's world for God's purpose if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that doesn't lead to death he should pray and God will give him life that's what God wants to do, give people life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Now, this is a mystery passage in that we're not sure what sin John is talking about. Scholars disagree about it, and there are four basic views. The first one is that it's a specific sin category that could be qualified as sins unto death, as a category, like mortal sins. But that doesn't resolve the mystery. It means that John still hasn't told us what sins they are. He just says there is such a category. The second view is apostasy. Something John is talking about people who were once believer, now repudiating their faith. And, um, and yet other teachings of Scripture seem to contradict that view. Third viewpoint, some say this is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, like Jesus accused the Pharisees of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, deliberately closing their eyes in the face of known truth, revealed truth. Blasphemy. See, there's a difference between being in the dark and closing your eyes to the light. Blasphemy. And then some say it's the kind of sin that leads a believer to die physically, that God will take a believer's life if they continue to deliberately resist and rebel against his will, living a carnal life that is now affecting other people negatively, like what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 5, they conspired in their lying and in their hypocrisy at church, and so they died. But, you know, the facts are we don't know. John never clarifies it in the text here. We don't know. Maybe what we could do is simply identify that there are two types of sinners that John does identify here. 
The first one is the believer who deliberately sins on purpose, willfully turning from the Lord. You know, no sorrow over their sin, no repentance in their heart, no fear of God in their life. They just, the hardness of heart has so set that it's like concrete. And John is saying there's no jackhammer that can break that up because that door is locked from the inside. Turning back to God is no longer possible. Is that what he's talking about? So he's saying, so I'm not telling you to pray for them. Maybe, I don't know. But here, second, is the category of believer who's been deceived. I mean, they've just, they've missed, they've been misled by temptation, maybe misguided by false teachers, because he talks about that a lot in his letter, doesn't he? And yet, they haven't willfully rebelled against God. They've just been deceived and taken into a ditch by, uh, by their decision. They don't like sin. They don't do it on purpose. They're seeking God's blessing, but they got tangled up. They got taken down, and John is saying, you know what? You should pray for them because God wants to give them life. God wants to restore and get his kids back up on their bikes and heading back down the trail. Oh, the places you will go. God is dreaming big with his kids, and he's recruiting his children to be part of the prayer rescue team that helps that happen. He says you should pray about them because God is going to give them life. God is dreaming big with his kids. This is redeeming work. He is envisioning recruiting his children into the ministry that will join him in reaching his world and restoring the fallen and the broken. God is dreaming big. Oh, the places you will go. Kids, God is saying to his family, you will move mountains with me. Now, may I try to bring this home? Maybe you remember the story of the little engine that could. Um, on one side of the mountain, she says this, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And on the other side of the mountain, you know what the little engine says? She says, I thought I could, I thought I could, I thought I could, I thought I could. There's the difference that's happening right there. On the front end of your journey, as you're getting your bike up and learning your balance and trying to move forward, you might be saying, well, I think I can, but I'm not sure. I think I can, but I'll give it a try. And it's a little wobbly. But once you've learned, it's like, well, I thought I could. And now I know I can. That's what John is talking about. It's what we know. It's not simply what we think or what we wish for. He's saying in your Christian life, as you follow Jesus, he's going to ask you to do things. He's going to ask you to pray. He's going to ask you to give. He's going to ask you to serve. He's going to ask you to lead. He's going to ask you to help reach other people. He's going to ask you to tell your story. He's going to ask you to go on mission. And at first you're going to go, ah, I feel a little wobbly. I'm not sure I can make the turn. And he's going to say, and you're going to be, I think I can, but I don't know. But as you get up and you keep pedaling and you, once you've trusted God, it gets easier. It's like riding a bike. Once you start practicing what you know, then you can say, well, I thought I could, and now I know. I know that in Christ, it's like second nature to me now. God wants to make himself known through my life, in my church, in my world, and he wants to do it through me. So what I see here, it's like John's gathering his dear children around, like a spiritual father in a family huddle, and, uh, and then he says this. 
you know, I've taught you how to ride, but not just so that you can go places. I want you now to let your heavenly father use you to make a difference in his world. Because as you're riding through life in life in this troubled world, you're going to come across others, people on the trail, people who need direction, people who, uh, who some of them are going to be in a ditch. Some of them um, are going to have flat tires. Some of them will have fallen down and been run over by others. Some of them are going to be on the take, and you're going to need to sniff them out so that they don't take advantage of you in the moment. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. So keep applying what you know. Keep believing. Keep loving. Keep pedaling by faith. And stay connected with the community of God because as you help others then you're going to want to be careful. Don't be taken out by what's taking them down. But join God in his work and let him use you to move somebody's mountain and help somebody else find their balance so that they can start learning how to ride. And you can help them experience the community as well. You know, that's why we know what we know. And as we do what we know, we keep on believing. We keep on loving. We keep on peddling. You know what he says will happen? Not only will it keep you from the false gods of this world, you will know the thrill of growing to become all that you are intended by the true God who gives you eternal life. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your vision for our lives for the privilege of being image bearers of your reality in our world, that you haven't given up on our world, you haven't given up on our families, you haven't given up on us, you haven't given up, and yet you're seeking to raise us up that we might be part of those who can make a difference through our prayers, through our lives, through our love, and through this church. Thank you, God, for Christ Journey Church. Thank you for our community. Help us now as we seek to help others find their way, find their balance, and increase their momentum as we trust you together. Now, if you're joining us for the first time or you'd like to know how can I begin my Christ journey, then a simple prayer like this might be your next step. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. I'm turning from my way to learn how to ride your way. So come alive in me and I will trust you from this day forward. And we make that prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.